Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, another Pride edition, this time for 2021. And with me, I have Tori. Hello, everyone. And we have our special guest, Erica Friedman. Hello, thanks so much for having me. So if you are not aware of who Erica is, uh, well, you should be, uh, but Erica holds a master's degree in library science and a BA in comparative literature, and she is probably the foremost scholar on Yuri in, uh, probably in the English-speaking world at the very least, and she has done so much for the Yuri genre, including founding YuriCon, which is an annual convention that focuses on Yuri as a genre, started in 2000 by Erica. Um, Erica has also done work for the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival in San Francisco. Uh, she has done lectures at MIT, the University of Illinois, University of Michigan, uh, Harvard, Kanagawa University. Uh, she's done editing for J-Manga, Seven Seas, and Udon Entertainment. And her biggest uh, claim to fame right now is she has done editing on the historical classic, The Rose of Versailles. So, uh... Yeah, Erica is incredibly accomplished when it comes to anime, manga, and Yuri. And Erica, if you want, you can tell everyone about the uh, upcoming book you have that's going to come out next year. Thank you. I love that you're starting with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm working on sort of the definitive history of, U of the first hundred years of Yuri. And I say definitive, but that's not really going to be an exact sort of... It's, it's as close to definitive as we can get in English now. Um, it's called By Your Side, The First Hundred Years of Yuri Anime and Manga. It'll be coming out next June for Pride Month. Uh, and I'm really excited because it's coming out during Pride Month, right before August 2022, which is the 20th anniversary of my blog, Okazu, where I write all these essays and talk about Yuri so much. So I'm very, very excited to have this. I'm working with an incredible publisher, Journey Press, and I'm just, I'm so blessed to, uh, to have the chance to bring you all the the connecting pieces that you just never had a chance to have previously. So before we jump into Yuri as a genre, uh, what did it take to get this book off the ground? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the book. So I had been writing essays about Yuri and about specific series within Yuri for 20 years on Okazu and, and previous to that on various mailing lists and communities, some of which are still in existence. And uh, I wanted to have a place to put them all together. And I decided to do this sort of like a series of conversations because everything I do tends to be a lot like a Yuri panel, right? So what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, you and I were sitting here and you had a question and you were thinking about this and I'm going to address that question. How do we get the word Yuri? How did, what, what's the oldest Yuri um, series? You know, how did things evolve over time? And so what I'm doing with the book is all the essays are like standalone, read-alone chapters. So you can pick up the book anywhere, start with an essay, read a few pages, put it down, think about it a little while and go, you know, hey, that sounds sort of interesting, but it's not to be read all the way through, like page by page after a while, you'd be like, okay, we went through this already, but yeah, because it was a different essay and I had to sort of set context. Um, I've written a lot of new content, obviously, over the years. So once I had the idea, I took all the essays and reviews that I, the overview reviews, like 25 years of Revolution Girl Utena or, or 15 years of Maria Samagamitharu, I took all those and I put them into a manuscript form. Then I had to footnote everything. 
um, and source it. So I hired someone to help me do that because I hate footnoting. And then I started writing new stuff over time. And then I had to find a publisher, of course. And I was, as I say, very lucky to uh, be able to talk with Journey Press and, and have them be so responsive to me. And I'm working with an artist um, who is Rika Takashima, who is the woman who did Rika Takanji, the first English language Yuri manga. Uh, she and I met back in 2002. We've been working together since then. And it just felt absolutely right to have her do the cover art for this book because it's sort of wrapping up those first 20 years of everything we did together and all the places we've gone and all the, the books we published, the people we've met, the events we ran. And it just felt like a, the only person I could really turn to, honestly, would be Rika. And so there's a lot of moving parts even still. We're at the end of the first draft. Um, I'm working towards the second. I've got my editorial assistant doing some work. I've got some editors who are going to look at it. Then I've got a lot to do with taking it back, reworking it. Um, then eventually um, we'll have some beta readers who who know the subject, uh, Catherine Hansen and Nikki Bauman and, and Aaron Subramani, and take a look at it, make sure I got all the dates and names and people right. Uh, because it's very hard to write a book about a really specific niche, teeny little niche subject and get like somebody's name wrong. <laughs> really? really bad. Um, so I'm going to have them help me out. Uh, and then I'll take it back one more time and then we'll give it to the publisher and then it's uh, kind of his problem. <laughs> Hopefully. And I also want to ask, uh, you, you're, again, you've mentioned that you have been, a, you've had your blog since 2002. Uh, you've founded YuriCon in 2000. Uh, what brought you to the genre? Like, what about Yuri has made it so that you could write an entire book about it and run a blog and a convention for, for 20 years? Well, the convention actually uh, ran about five years. We haven't done an event since 2007, but the communities all still exist. And those are 24-7. We're on Discord and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Um, the, the thing that got me here was, like so many people of... My particular Yuri generation was with Sailor Moon. Um, my wife was home. Uh, she was unemployed, sitting around watching Cartoon Network, as one does. And she said, you know, there's this cartoon I'm watching. You really ought to watch it with me. And so one day I came home from early from work and we sat down to watch it. And I'll never forget this. The episode we were watching is called in English Cruise Blues. And uh, Ray turns to Amy and says, you know, do you notice we're the only girls here without a boyfriend? Uh, sorry, Amy turns to, to Ray and says that, and, and Ray says, well, we don't need boys to have fun. And I thought, okay, I totally approve of that. And then I said to my wife at the time, I said, you know, we're watching two different cartoons. You're watching like the prepubescent little girl cartoon, and I'm watching the cartoon with incredible lesbian subtext. So then I started doing some research. And this is back in 97, I guess. Um, I did some research and I found that the third season had an honest lesbian couple and people were freaking out about it. And, uh, and this was only a few years after it aired in Japan. And, and then I found out that in Japan it had been like game changer that, that Sunday at seven o'clock, the gay and lesbian section of Tokyo would like shut down as every bar would have people coming to see this cartoon. And so I'm watching uh, Sailor Moon. Uh, third season, Salomon S. And the episode is the third episode, the first kiss episode. And um, Haruka and Michiru are oozing all of each other. I mean, like, it's a really sexy scene 
which is infamously has been translated, was translated in English originally on Cartoon Network as if they were cousins. So not only are they cousins, but they're incestuous cousins because there's no way to watch that. Not a single way to watch that and not think, whoa, what's going on here? So I started watching that and I I got the um, the Japanese version of it, of course, and uh, because this was before it was on the Cartoon Network. And Haruka says to... Usagi Minako, like, hey, you know, it was like, yeah, it was like one syllable. And I almost fell off the sofa. I was like, holy shit, that's the sexiest voice I've ever heard in my life. Um, which I later found out was um, Ogata Megumi-san, who I've had the honor to meet in real life uh, after that. Uh, she touched me twice. And um, just generally, it was so gay and the whole series was so gay but that season was so 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 very gay and they were so wonderful that i just got sucked in it was like a big hole that opened up and said i'll take all your time and money um so we are talking about the late 90s and uh there was no word for this there was no community for this we were all talking about it on like alt fan sailor moon on usenet and the problem with being on Usenet on all fans element is not that it wasn't a great community. It was actually a pretty great community. But then you'd start talking about Haruka Michiru and somebody would have to be annoying about them. Like, oh, no, Haruka's really a man because blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, whatever. Um, so I decided what the world needed was a community where we could just talk about this. And then really the motivating factor for that was uh, Revolution Girl Utena. Um, at that point, I realized that um, there was... A, there were two things. There was a body of, of people, a fandom that was growing, and we were just starting to get words for it. People were calling it Shoujo Ai uh, and Yuri. And then partially the people in Usenet, the Western fandom, wanted a rating system. So they were like, Yuri is bad. It's like sex. Ew. Lesbian sex is ew. And, and Shoujo Ai is sweet and wonderful. And I was like, that's fine. That's cool. But also, I'd like a place to talk about this where we didn't have people telling us anything about ourselves was ew. So I decided to create an organization, which originally was called Ani Lesbocon after a really fabulous fanfic called Scenes from an Elevator. It was a Utena fanfic where um, the cool character, the cool, competent character, Judy, decides she's gonna run an animated lesbian convention for all the cool, competent lesbian characters, including Haruka, and so Anna Lesbocon was born. So that's uh, Nick Dreiser made that name up. And so I've been kind of using that in one way or another since. Um, so in 2000, we created the Anna Lesbocon community on Yahoo Groups. Um, in 2001, I was starting to realize that the word shoujo ai, uh, and in fact, I just want to stop right now and say that I am literally just did a presentation on academia about this very, very, very topic that's like out right now. We're doing our panel on June 5th about this very topic. Uh, we didn't, the words were changing. We realized that uh, shoujo ai was a word that was used in Japan, but not by fans of anime. It was used by uh, pedophiles. So I decided to sort of move us back to Yuri because in the early 1970s when there was a gay magazine called Barazoku. Um, Ito Bungaku-san, the, um, the publisher, uh, also a person I got to meet in 2005 when we did Yuri Khan in Tokyo. Uh, he 
decided that lesbians needed a name of themselves for themselves. So if, if gay men were the Barozoku, the Rose tribe, then then the the lesbians were the Yurizoku, the Yuri tribe, the Lily tribe. And so I decided that because the word Yuri actually had lesbian roots, le- roots in the lesbian community and not just um, not porn. It wasn't a pornographer's choice. It was a, a lesbian word. I decided to reclaim it. So I renamed everything in 2001, Yurikan. Uh, in 2002, a bunch of the folks on the mailing list said, hey, let's do an event. You know, hey, kids, let's put on a show. And so in 2003, we did an event. We did two events in 2005. We ran a couple of minor events here and there at various conventions and, and other things. Did some events at a lesbian bar in New York. And in 2007, we ran our last one-day uh, event because the, the the global depression was hitting. It was getting harder to get people to be able to travel. People didn't have money. Uh, my life changed a lot. The hotels changed a lot, and they didn't want to have groups like this. So I just gave up, basically. I stopped. The events were not particularly fun for me. Now, I do online events. We have a Discord where we chat all the time. I do online URI panels. I do lectures at cons and events all over the world. And hey, if you want me for a convention or a school organization or a class or whatever, let me know. I'm glad to be talking, uh, as you can probably tell. Um, And that's kind of how we got here. And I just started writing the blog in 2002 because I wanted to sort of catalog how complicated running a convention was because people were like, ah, you know, this convention didn't do whatever. And I'm like, have you ever tried to put like four people in a room and make them do the same thing at the same time? So I started cataloging all the pieces of how a a convention is built. And then it became like a review blog where I was talking about cool stuff we were going to be doing and cool stuff we'd done, stuff we'd watched. And then 20 years later, I basically do about four to six posts a week of anime reviews. We just had an amazing guest review yesterday by uh, Krishna LeBlanc, one of one of our guest reviewers on a Netflix anime, High Rise Invasion. That was brilliant. Uh, so we have a body of people who do reviews. We do a news report weekly where I literally get news items from all over the world. People writing in saying, oh, I'm from France and here's something that's happening or there's a cool thing that's coming out. And it's just, it's just, it's a global community. I find it interesting that you mentioned Sailor Moon as sort of part of your Yuri origin story, because as me and Tori frequently have mentioned to one another, including in our last Pride episode, uh, it seems that for a lot of queer anime fans, uh, all roads lead back to Sailor Moon in some way. Uh, it all started with Sailor Moon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was it was a generational life changer. In fact, I have a quote sitting here on my screen. Um, Mary Hiranashi, who is a really wonderful lesbian uh, artist, um, she does a comic online on her Patreon and on Pixiv called uh, The Butch Lesbian Who Can't Get a Girlfriend, and she's just a delight. She has in one of her chapters a thing that I cut and pasted, but in middle school I crushed on Haruka from Sailor Moon, and since then I've chopped my hair off and haven't crushed on men, and I, I actually put it on my screensaver here. I can't stop laughing. Yeah, that was like a freaking game changer for so many people. And then Utena, which did BL and Yuri and all sorts of bunch of other things. Um, and then from there on, it's been one thing after another. Every few years, you had a Kanizuki no Miko, Maria Samagamitharu, and Strawberry Panic, and Awaihana Sweet Blue Flowers. Like, boom, boom, boom. Every couple of years, 
is an anime that just shakes the foundation of fandom and creates a whole new wave. Um, uh, Madoka, uh, we had um, last year we had Bloom Into You, which uh, did brought in a whole new generation of people. Citrus brought in a whole new generation of people. I mean, every once in a while you just get something that becomes, it's not accidental. What you have is something that the publisher thinks it's worth putting some money into. They're seeing a wave of fandom building and they want to cash in on it. So they make an anime, they make a manga, they make movies. And in the case of Madoka, it was owned by, I think, Katakawa. So it's like they're the marketing machine magic company and they just put it on everything, literally on everything. Magazines, books, um, newspapers, socks, hats, underwear, it doesn't matter. Just It all just goes everywhere. And then you, there, are, there are some series. You walk through Japan at the right time and every store you walk by has something. Men's clothing. Oh, look, it's an Evangelion jacket. Uh, Attack on Titan underwear. Like, it's crazy pants, but of course it makes them <laughs> tons of money. So it's not really accidental that every few years there's just one really big thing and then the next big thing and the next and the next and the next and each time fandom gets a little bit bigger so one of the reasons i also have tori on this episode is because uh i am very limited in what i can speak to when it comes to the eerie genre because i'm i i suppose as one could say i am on the rose side and less on the lily side so tori i, I want to make sure that you have plenty of time to kind of uh voice your own ideas of how yuri has influenced your fandom and your identity and and your sort of take on some of these things yeah um it made me realize that I was not alone um, when I first started, you know, developing these feelings and understanding myself more. I felt very weird and different. And then I came across this material and just realized, you know, this is normal. People live these lives. I'm not weird. I'm not different. Um, and the community, when I participate in the community, has always been very welcoming and very inviting and kind and friendly. And it's just that camaraderie you have with the people who are like you and understand where you're coming from. Um, but as we said earlier, you know, it all started with Sailor Moon and um, being introduced into that world. And um, I feel like it's just gotten better and better. And you see more material that is actually made for women and marketed towards women versus men and um, the male gaze and things like that. But um, it's been it's been very life changing for me to know that, you know, this content exists and it's made for people like me and there's such a strong community around all of it. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I've certainly spent <clears throat> the last 20 years trying to make sure that my communities at least are that welcoming. Uh, it's when I first started uh, getting into Yuri, you know, I wanted to say that I was an adult already. I was in my late thirties by the time I started getting into uh, anime. So a lot of mm -hmm. the, the kind of emotional stresses that younger people, younger fans run into, I had been through with like, science fiction fandom back in the 70s when books it was books it was all in books so that was what it was there was, there was all this other stuff didn't exist there was no gaming like we had pong uh, so um 
so I'd kind of gotten through a lot of all that stuff outside fandom circles and I wasn't willing to start fresh. I wasn't willing to start from the beginning with the, you know, justifying my existence to some rando on the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. So that actually put me in a really good place to sort of run the communities and run the convention because I actually had somebody ask me once, how aren't you afraid during one of our events that like somebody's going to be really weird? And I said, no, because if they are, I will tell them to leave. I, and they were looking at me like, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't have to be everybody's friend. I don't need to be loved. Uh, what I want is everyone to feel welcome as long as they know how to behave correctly. And that's, I know that sounds a little constraining, but it really isn't because you can be weird, but also not be uncomfortably weird at other people in their general direction and make them feel like they're not, they're not okay. Like you can love what you love. Oh yeah. And you can hate what you hate. It's a rule I have. We've always had it for years at Eurycon. When I was tabling, we used to talk about this all the time. Just because you like something doesn't mean it's good. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's bad. And just because something's good, quote unquote, doesn't mean you have to like it. Something Just because something's bad, quote unquote, doesn't mean you have to hate it. And all you have to do is let people like what they like. And it sounds easy when you put it that way, but a lot of people really have a hard time because we all identify with this. I've had people say to me over the years, well, how would you feel about it if I said something bad about Sailor Moon? I'd be like, I don't care. Like, so it put me in a good position to make a, a community around this that wasn't going to be like, you must always love what the zeitgeist loves. And in fact, mm -hmm. just yesterday on our Yurikon group on Facebook, I literally put up a question. We, I put up a little dumpster fire gif and I said, let's have it. What thing does everybody love that you just don't like? <laughs> and I said, there's no, it's, there's no shibboleths here. There's no sacred cows. You just go ahead and say it. And I really, I, there were so many things about Bloom to You that really upset me. But I have to tell you, at the end, it worked. I think it worked as a series. I'm thrilled it was popular. Um, I would have written it so differently, so differently. And um, I'm really glad it had Sayaka because frankly, if it hadn't had Sayaka, I would never watch it to the end uh, or read it to the end. But even more importantly, it had the adult characters as role models, an adult stable mm -hmm. relationship. That made the difference for me. But I mean, we can like things and not be assholes to each other. And I kind of feel like Teaching somebody that you can love something and know that it's life-changing, but also understand that it wasn't for somebody else. And the thing that they like best might really skeeze you out the door and you have to make space for that. But the moment they say they're right or wrong and you're right or wrong, that conversation can end right there. And, and that's kind of making sure that space, those spaces exist where people can, can have conversations and still feel completely welcome even if I like something and you just don't like it and still say but we can still be friends over that that's not a thing that's going to stop us it's the other real world stuff like if you're also a homophobic dick well then you're out of here like <laughs> you know, rightfully so you know that's the important stuff <clears throat> not not the con conversing about whether you love Sailor Moon all right so here's the important question Tori mm -hmm. who's your favorite senshi Oh my gosh. Um, Isn't that the hardest really question hard in the world? Question. It's a hard it question. It is. One of us. I'm, 
Can I cheat and say that I'm tied between Usagi and Michiru? Yeah. You can cheat and say you love them all equally. I don't care. Okay, that's fine. I do love them all equally. Um, But both of those characters, they embody traits that I have and would like to have. Um, Like, I, I want that sereneness and that adultness and competency that Michiru has and Usagi eventually grows into but um you know some days I just want to sleep and eat and not do my homework so I I kind of get it from both ends but (laughs) I was um a couple years ago the Sailor Moon musical the final musical the uh uh the Sailor Moon series yeah yeah that one they went to a bunch of movies, movie theaters, and I went to one, and and mm-hmm. I stood outside the theater because I'd already seen it. I knew about it. I'd I'd watched it right. So um, I went to the theater and I sat in the back row to watch everybody's reactions and everything. And as people came out of the theater, I said, "What did you think? What did you think?" And then I'd say, "Who's your favorite senshi?" And people would be like, "You know," I would say by far and away Usagi won, which total fair. I mean, that's my wife's favorite too. Um, but watching people <laughs> struggle with the question was so adorable. <laughs> Because everyone's like, I don't know. I love them all. Um, and I love that. And yeah, no, I agree. I think the um, the thing about Salomon particularly is that all the characters are archetypal. So there's someone yes. to identify with. Uh, and I actually wrote back in my fan fiction days and finished up not too long ago, uh, an Arthurian crossover with all of the characters. Um, so I have like, I don't know, six, seven stories and in back in like 2006 or whatever, I was in Cornwall and I stopped at a, a center there to check my computers. This was back before we had, it was like 2003 or four, I guess. It was back before we had laptops and we all walked around with phones in our hands. And I stopped at this like center and I got this email from someone in Australia who was doing a uh, uh, grad student thing about versions of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. And the, one of the first stories I did was Sir Jupiter uh, and the Green Knight, Jupiter and the Green Knight. And, um, she wrote, we, we had a really lovely conversation at the end of it all. She said, so who is everybody? Like, who are the rest of them? Because I had only gotten like two stories done. So I, I labeled them all. And finally she said, well, but who's Minako? And I'm like, Sir Lancelot, because her heart is pure. She has the strength of 10 because her heart is pure. And I was like, that's so obvious. It's so obvious because they're archetypal. And everything that makes no sense carries over. So, um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you, you love multiples everybody loves multiples i i love ami um i love Mako she's so Tao. underappreciated totally in america not in japan she's super popular there oh, um, good. in fact this past year was the first year she wasn't number one on the popularity list they oh, did wow. a poll and wow. for the first time ever uh haruka won <laughs> Uh, rightfully so. <laughs> right? Of course. Of course. So what are you watching now, Tori? Right now I am watching uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm thoroughly enjoying that. Um, 
I've been kind of on an anime burnout, so I've not been watching a lot. Um, so that, and sure. I started... We all go um, through it. Yes. Um, Wonder Egg Priority. And mm-hmm. I've had a lot of fun with that. It's very kind of grim, um, but the story is so well-written and definitely tugs at the heartstrings. And um, I'm excited to finish that for sure. But yeah, kind of kind of on the downward slump right now. So, oh, Sure, I understand. There's so much now, too. It gets overwhelming. Sullivan, how about you? What are you watching? So... Uh... I, I haven't really been watching a lot because I've actually been, in, I just finished my master's degree. And so I told myself, it's like, oh, thank you. I told myself, it's like, when I finish my master's degree, that's when I can watch anime again. And of course, the first anime I watch that I actually sit down and watch is uh, Yaderman because I've been helping with the fan subtitle of that. Cool. And I actually, uh, the guy who translates it, I just edit. So I just make sure that the subtitles not only do not have mistakes, like grammatical things, but I also like, maybe you could say this better and stuff like that. And actually I had like 15 episodes I hadn't done. So I sat down over the course of a few days and like, I didn't really get to sit down and enjoy it. I, I think cause I was too busy like pausing the video and going, uh, there's a mistake here, or this is, a, this doesn't agree tense wise. Uh, sure. But I did that, and then I started watching Princess Jellyfish because a friend of mine told me, you have to watch this. And I, it had been on my list for forever and a day, and he's like, you have to watch it because Kuroko makes me think of you. Hmm. And if someone says something like that, then I'm going to immediately see if it flatters my ego or not. <laughs> um, and if anything, I'm more jealous of Kuroko. It's like, so you, you can look pretty as a girl, and I just, I can't? That's not fair. Why, why did you tell me this? Now I just, now I'm just going to compare myself to her at every single moment. I'm watching uh, Super Cub, uh, which is a quiet, like, life, daily life. It's very sad at the beginning. I'm really gut-wrenchingly sad at the beginning. This girl's life is just so lonely. And the whole point of it is, as her world opens up because of a, a scooter and she gets a scooter and she's got now friends and she can go to places and and her whole teeny little world just kind of opens up that was that's good it's also depressing <clears throat> uh, so i watch it like i was balanced my watching i always watch like something really shitty so i have uh battle athletes uh victory restart which is just appalling um I watch Super Cub. I watch, I always end up like cleaning my palette with with one piece because it's so simple, you know. Um, and I'm just I don't I'm not good at catching up with anime. Oh, I'm watching Yasuke on Netflix, which has actually been pretty interesting. Uh, oh yeah. I, I wasn't um, I wasn't surprised by these supernatural elements because I read Mercedes Clovis's review on our interview with uh, Alshon Thompson, Thomason uh, on Anime News Network. So I was really kind of interested to see how the how they executed it, and I think it's pretty good to be very fair. Um, so I kind of I really read a, a metric ton of manga, but I don't watch a lot of anime unless I'm really motivated to do so. I'm really pretty bad. I mean, like I spent. This past two days watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> like that's that's more my stick. <laughs> you know. Um but I think you go into phases, like you'll be like, all right, I have to catch up on everything, you know, or or eh, you know, I'll go do something. I always have like three or four manga, oh like two novels and three manga open up in Japanese all over the house. So every room I go in, I can pick up and start reading. This this ties in very well with the third impact anime podcast motto of go outside and read a book. Yep. 
<laughs> Y'all are welcome for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do that all the time. Um, uh, I At night, before I go to bed, I start with a novel in Japanese, so there's no pictures. Then I usually go to something a little bit easier, like maybe a light novel. Um, then I switch over to um, manga in Japanese. And then as I'm getting more tired, I move over to manga in English and eventually end up with like some easy reading. Like I'm reading um, the new Jessica Bannister novel from J Novel Club. They have a new line called J Novel Pulp. I love pulp novels so much. So uh, I was able to get a review copy for that. And it's it's been fun. It's been kind of fun. It's a little um, paranormally goofy, fake mid-century kind of thing. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. That's like my, right before I'm going to bed is my eyes are drifting off. Like that's my last read for the day. One thing you mentioned earlier was the fact that you have to kind of balance between I like this thing and other people don't or vice versa. And I think especially for queer fans that, that takes on such a, a sort of high stakes to it because we often label things. This is the good representation versus this is the bad representation and I, yes. I wanted to kind of bring that back to something that you talk about a lot on your blog and in your writing about things, especially the sort of butch femme dynamics in Yuri, because we see similar things play out in, in Yaoi with the uke seme archetypes. And we see uh, Japan especially has very gendered ideas of sexuality. And I, I've come across so many different people who find things like the boy or the the girl prince archetype, the the Utena, the 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 Haruka characters like that, as, as very empowering versus people who find the idea of like well to be a lesbian requires a, a sort of masculinity that is offensive. And I, I kind of wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about that because another a really great article you have on your website is uh, is Yuri queer and you say yes, no, and maybe. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's a great way of seeing it. I mean, most mm -hmm. people think of that as a cop out, but the answer is. The phrase some people are is so fraught with bullshit. I can't, I actually am starting to not allow comments on no cause of this. Well, some people in this forum said, who cares? I mean, how you feel about a thing and how some person feels about a thing are so ought to be so unrelated. So, so the thing is, this is a super complicated question, Sullivan, because we're separating, it, separating out people's personal ideas and ideals from cultural mores, um, entertainment tropes, industry, industry pressures, and then some rando somewhere. So we're gonna kill the some rando somewhere think something about something who gives a shit? That's not ever part of the conversation. So let's start with one thing. How we all in individually relate to sexual um, representation, uh, gender roles, is always going to be so incredibly personal that you can't make a, a conversation about, well, you know, um, you know, lesbians should like this, or like, that's never the conversation on Okazu. The, the conversation on Okazu is never this is a good representation. The conversation is, I think this is a good representation because. I think this is not because. So whenever you read a, a review of mine, you'll always find out my biases up front. Uh, there's a manga coming out from Seven Seas. It is not for me. I do not like it. It's called Semmel Paris. And it's the 
the women are highly sexualized, super gigantic tits. The clothing is horribly unrealistic where their tits actually move separately because nobody has a bra. At least like the clothes are like sprayed on. I find it laughably awful. Like, honestly embarrassing for not just the creator, but anyone who actually likes it. Like saying in front of me, I like Simul Paris, you would think that that'd be a really embarrassing thing because I would look at you and go, okay. But actually, no, you can like Simul Paris. It's okay. I don't like Simul Paris. And I feel like that's a really important distinction. Um, it's not good representation. It's not good physical representation. It's not good emotional representation. It does not show lesbians or lesbian sex in any form of reality. It's embarrassingly infantile. But hey, you can like that. That's cool. But don't argue with me that it's good representation. Because then I'm going to go, well, back it up. And so I think that's important. But you made a really important point about the girl prince. Let's talk about that. Can I talk about the girl prince for half a second? Um, 24 yes. hours later, they finally threaten me and say, shut up, Eric, I'm talking about this. <laughs> I'm actually going to do a video about it shortly, so I won't get into it too much. The girl prince archetype is way older than Haruka. It's way older than Oscar from Rose of Versailles. It actually comes from the Han period. Uh, there's a very, very um, old classic of Japanese literature called the Torikaya Bayamonogatari, and that is, 11th century is probably the origin of the girl prince character. And I do panels about this at cons and stuff called the, um, the Secret uh, History of Yaoi and Yuri, and I'm doing that online on Discord on the weekend of June 25th and 20, uh, through the 27th. Uh, for Kasakan, I'll be doing this panel. So if you want more about this, we can talk about it. And so this concept of a a woman who is actually a better boy than the boys and a boy who is a better girl than the girls uh, is really old in Japanese literature. And, and that makes it so understandable to them because it's this literary archetype that doesn't have to be explained. And they have high culture kabuki where men do all the roles and nobody ever questions that the men do the women there. The onagata are these ideals of women. No one ever looks at an onagata and says, oh, that's weird. For, for popular culture, there's Takarazuka, which again is, is more than a hundred years old. Um, and it was created specifically to be the pop or low culture version of Kabuki, this sort of cross-dressing uh, show, but it's musical review. And it's very, very, very popular in Japan um, it, among its fans. It's this kitsch concept that just is very long lived now. And so this concept of the girl prince is so baked into uh, Japanese life. This concept of cross-dressing characters is baked in from a long way back. And no one has to explain that this character is not a girl or a boy. It's, it's the opposite thing. So when you read something like Rose of Versailles and you have Oscar and obviously I've been very neck deep in Rose of Versailles recently. Oscar really struggles with this and she's in the 18th century. She's in 18th century France, not Japan. And she's really struggling with this, this ideal of being a man or being a woman and trying to kind of understand who she is and understand how her desires and work. Um, and she is, of course, exceptionally cool. She's honorable. She's upright. And we're supposed to want to be like her and to desire her. 
Um, so when you get Haruka, who is not the only one after her, and there was also like I talk about her. I did a recent I did a recent uh, video called um, Yuri, how it began and how it's going. And I talked about Shinokita Reiko, who is a character from a manga that you'll never read called Yajikita Gakuen Dojuki, um, which has been going on. It's 37 volumes and it's been going on since the 80s, um, on and off. Um, she's this character who's just so cold and so, so unapproachable, but she's, and she's masculine, but she's not a guy. She's not in the girlfriends, but she can't help it. It's like a host. She's a host from a host club. She walks up in her tux and she's just so much you're overwhelmed so these things when we look at them they're meant to be things we desire and desire to be okay so that's one thing and that's the answer to one piece of that and i'm not going to get into all of the rest of it because it will be here for hours and hours and hours um but the answer is that some of the things that Western fans look at and they see and they interpret in one way, they might not understand what it means to Japanese people, which is why Utena was like such a major breakthrough for me. Because as I watch Utena, I'm watching this anime going, I'm missing 30 references for everyone I get. This thing is chock full of references. I'm just not getting. And I started doing research and, and I met uh, Dr. Sarah Frederick, who... Um, talked about also talked about some of the the early references that were in Utena and the two of us become friendly since and I realized it was like it was like the scales fell from my eyes and I realized that there was this hundred year long history of literary and artistic tropes that anime yuri anime manga which didn't exist yet but it was just starting to be born was referring about was referring to so you have personal interest and then you have these literary and artistic precedents and then you have new fans coming in who are free from all of the baggage that the people in the 70s and 80s and 90s had and they're going i want queer characters and i'm going well of course you do and so do i and you know what there are some so you look at something like um my uh i'm in love with the villainous which is a light novel series and a manga series out from seven seas which is based on uh, a web novel that was created and then turned into a light novel in Japan by Inori with uh, illustrations by Hanagata. And awesome, awesome person online, uh, Inori Sensei. And I'm in love with the villain it starts with a character who is, you know, reborn into another world. And she's reborn into the world of her favorite Otome game, which is called Revolution. And in the first book, she literally has to deal with the, the idea that her, she's been brainwashed by the way Japanese media pre presents gay characters and break through that. So in our world, she never really was ever really comfortable being a lesbian. And now she's been reborn into this world where she can romance the villainess who is her favorite character. And she's like, hell yeah. And when somebody says to her, are you gay? We literally, literally listen in as to the fact that we watch her have her entire adolescence in like a two minute conversation where she's like, well, yes, I guess so. And I guess I really never really understood it. And I, I guess I really never really accepted it. And like, boom, 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 boom. I don't even watch like 10 years of... And she just goes through it. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, you yeah, know, fuck yeah, I'm a lesbian. And then 
And then she starts acting really, you know, she's acting really weirdly. And ultimately there's a conversation later though. She realizes that she's, she's been, um, brainwashed into acting the fool, the comedy character. And she's like, okay. And then there's a whole section in the second novel where another gay character comes to her and says, do you want Claire? And she says, of course I want Claire. And the character says to her, but if Claire doesn't want you, that's okay, right? And and she's, yes, what I, what I want more than anything is Claire's happiness. And the other character looks and goes, bullshit. No, you don't. That's not what you want. Go tell her what you want. <laughs> Go declare <laughs> your interest so she doesn't think of you as just a joke. And she makes her come out in front of, like, everybody. And so she does. Uh, Ray goes and literally declares her love in front of everybody as a serious thing. And then, then the story keeps going. And things will happen. And volume three comes out in July. And boy, am I not going to ruin any of that because that's an amazing novel. Uh, but she's just, it gets queerer as it goes on. And the story around her, the characters are queerer and there's trans uh, identity. And there's real, there's a couple of really good characters in there who have their own things they're dealing with. And it's a really queer story. So when people come to me and say, well, you know, what I really want is, well, yeah, so do I. You have to pay attention to the right places and, and maybe Magical Girl isn't going to give it to you, but maybe something else might. I know that was a really added, long roundabout answer, but it, it, it's so confusing to try it when people say, well, but, you know. <laughs> I just added that to my uh, to-read list. You sold me on that. I usually don't like oh, it's going amazing. into another world thing, but I'm definitely going to pick oh, no, that it's up. It's an amazing story. I'm going to say flat out breathtaking. Awesome. And you mentioned that there's a coming out scene. And, and one thing you've noted before is that Yuri is sometimes a, a lesbian genre in which there are no lesbians because yeah. uh, the idea of a lesbian identity is not necessarily presented in a clear, direct way in a lot of, especially earlier Yuri. Well, um, the way it's I tend to describe it is that because Japan has a historical precedence of same-sex relationships have no bearing on anything. Like, the who you have sex with is not the, the point, right? Um, most people are familiar with Tatamaya Hone, and Tatamaya is like who you present to the outside world. Um, it doesn't matter who you have sex with or what you're doing in the bedroom. That's unrelated to who you are out here with, in society. Um, so it's unrelated to your sexual identity because it's not a thing that they had until recently. I mean, it's so if you say in public and that's true, this is true for here in the West as well. If I come out and I say, I am a lesbian, that is as much a political statement as it is a statement of identity. Now I am an entity that fits into this category of entities. And so you are aligning yourself with a, you know, a group of people um, that people who are of a different skin color or, or wear specific clothes for religious reasons or whatever, they don't have to, they don't have to say that, but people see it. We're actually saying, I am this, uh, I am this group of other. And so in Japan, we're kind of 
keeping things frictionless is what society is about. You want to be as low friction as possible to keep the wheels of society churning, saying, oh, wait, by the way, here I am, not the same as this group is, is a political statement. And it's not untrue here, but the, the mechanisms are a little different. Um, so, because you wouldn't have had people saying I am a lesbian all that often in the past. And I think the earliest manga I have that said it was from the early 90s, Moonlight Flowers. I had a, there was a character that said, I am a lesbian. Um, and she's a really cool character. She's a CEO and she's gone through all the bullshit and she's had the lost love and, and the whole bit, you know, and, and she's kind of a fun character. Um, but she ends up meeting a younger woman and kind of saying to her, yeah, you know what? I've been there and done that and you don't want to do what you're about to do. Like, don't don't be like Ray and think, oh, her happiness is, is all you want. Like, be yourself, be who you want. And that's from like the early 90s. So before that, you just didn't really have that kind of thing because there was no really political movement towards that. Now that there's more of a political and social movement towards being queer or having a queer identity, you're starting to see more of that. And, and it's still not mainstream but you have people like uh nagata kabi sensei who did um my lesbian experience with loneliness and made it it was a blockbuster in japan it was a blockbuster here and she very low-key comes out in that first novel she's like yeah you know for hugs i don't really care but if there's anything more i would have to be a woman that was her whole coming out right there it's not about the coming out like western literature is so heavy on the oh hey guys, I have to tell you this really serious thing. Can you just sit down and let's mm -hmm. all talk, you know? And and it's like this big, blah, 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 you know? And then, and then, like, for most of my life, the novels were like, oh my God, you're a gay, oh no! And that's like the rest of the novel is like, oh, they lose their friends and their job and their family and can't see their children anymore, blah, blah, blah. And it's exhausting. And, and we've kind of lost most of that. So we just get the whole, I'm, a, I'm gay, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, okay. And what's the next part of the sentence? Kipo and the Age of the Beasts, Time of the Beasts, is great with that. The guy finally comes out and he goes, Kipo, I'm gay. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. And that's like, done. And that's the last time, but he's still gay. He's still a gay character. And he has a guy he's crushing on. And, and that's, that's like, it's the end of that. It's not like big crisis you know it's not big emotional crisis so um there aren't a lot of lesbians until the 90s but we're we're getting more now and it's getting less fraught but there still isn't a lot a lot of coming out because i think the social and political ramifications are so different um and i'm not really sure there's a there's a an end to the sentence i think things are changing and things are going to keep changing Personally, for me, one of the things that attracted me to anime and manga is the fact that, uh, for better or for worse, coming out narratives are pretty much non-existent because I find mm -hmm. that I personally find the coming out story to be 
incredibly trite and incredibly boring and it's kind of like someone you know showing you snapshots from their vacation you're only really there to be supportive you you're not there because you have a genuine you're you're not hanging on the edge of your seat for someone's coming out story you're really just there you know to to politely nod and say good for you so yeah yeah yeah. well you know i think part of that is because you've already done yours you know you're done with it right um but on the other hand the anime manga has another problem which is gay for you, which is kind of its own level of, you know, because I I don't like men. I only like you. It's like, actually, sweetie, you like men. I just happen to be the first one, you know, like that's, it's, it's always like every anime character is kind of a baby gay. (laughs) Like they're all like that. Like they all need guns, which is why, honestly, the best thing about Blooming to You is that there was an adult couple. There's Rikako Sensei and uh, Riko Sensei and uh, Miyako, right? So here's Sayaka. This was the best scene in the entire series. Sayaka sits down at the bar of the coffee place, and Miyako looks at her and serves her coffee and says, Do you want to talk? They had pegged each other, they'd caught each other's eye, no words had been said. Nobody said anything, but the gaydar was there, and there was like, do you want to talk? And, like, Miyako is totally understands that she is now, congratulations, you are now a role model, lucky you. And Sayaka asks her some questions, and even as she's asking them, she's saying, this doesn't make sense when I make make words out of it. (laughs) Like, the answers are obvious, but I need to say it out loud to purge myself of this. And Miyako's like, yes. We understand. And they have this conversation that makes 100% sense and absolutely has no meaning at the same time. And it's the most important conversation Sayaka will ever have in her life. Because she sees somebody who's one of us and they respond to her and they don't reject her. And now she has somebody to talk to if she needs. And that's my, that's my big thing in, in Yuri going forward is can we get more adult role models? Because that's when you change the world. When there's just, there's a young kid flailing and an adult's going, no, it's cool. No, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. You know, which is what I kind of decided to try to be for randos on the internet. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're on the uh, Bloom Into You train because I feel like that show did so many things right. And what you just described was a big one for me where it's like you have that couple that has a healthy relationship and these kids can look up to but um that's that's very important um and to backtrack for just a second i feel like a lot of content creators that dabble in writing queer content forget that stories don't all have to be suffering like you're allowed to make your characters be happy and experience joy and things like that and you know you get that queer suffering in a lot of media and it's kind of exhausting Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, again, you know, when we're looking at any form of entertainment, there's so many pieces of it that get conflated because we're looking at it as a thing and we're not thinking, well, 75 people had their fingers in this pie and each one mm-hmm. of them had their own agenda. And, you know, it's, it's, we're looking at it saying, well, this thing is for this, but the answer is the director and the producer might have had one idea and the, the, the marketer had a different and the animators might have had a different. And, and so um, there was a few years ago, there's a series called 
the Kasa-san series, and there was an anime called Morning uh, Kasa-san and Morning Glories. Or Morning yeah. Glories. It's yeah. Kasa-san, right? Um, the movie of that is something I, again, recommend people to watch now when people say, well, I want to get an anime, and a Yuri anime, and I don't really understand it. I'll just watch that. It's a one-hour, all-chunky thing. The thing is, it's not the beginning of the story, which I love. They didn't start with the girl meets the girl and the girl falls in love with the girl and the girl then, you know, becomes a lover to the other girl and blah, 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 blah. Um, You don't get that. What you get is two people have already fallen in love. They already know they're in love. They're together. And then how does the relationship develop? How do we deal with communications issues with each other and their children? But it's not that same one story, you know? It's past that. It's this mm-hmm. other stuff. And there's still problems. Um, and there's still problems even with the execution. But the movie is beautiful. And the story isn't girl meets girl. Um, when the movie premiered at uh, Anime NYC, somebody asked, why did you cut out there's a jealousy arc in the manga in the middle of that story? And the director and producer said, we didn't think that would tell an important piece. Like, that wasn't the story we were telling. The Mm -hmm. story we were telling was how do relationships develop? How does communication happen? How do we develop that? How do do relationships grow? And I thought, well, thank you for saying that piece out loud because that actually makes the choices you made so much better. Instead of just thinking, well, they cut out bits they didn't like, or they just, you know, they didn't really care about it as a Yuri story. That's not actually true. They didn't care about it as a Yuri story. They were telling a love story, and that actually made it a much better movie. Because they were saying, the fact that they're two girls is, is important, but it's not the important part. The important part is this is a love story. And I thought, well, being able to know their intent, or at least their stated intent, uh actually made the, the movie a lot better. Mm-hmm. So something you, you bring up is kind of comparing the, the trajectories of Yaoi as a genre versus Yuri as a genre is that Yuri has a very heterogeneous audience and has had to deal with very different market forces and very different uh, even forces in fandom to get it to where it is now. And that Yuri as a as a stable recognized genre is is much younger than i think many people probably realize and where do you see this heterogeneous audience which comprises of of lesbian women straight women bisexual women uh men uh all sorts of different age groups and and identities where do you see that taking yuri in the next 10 20 years so I actually again did a video of it just recently about yuri how it began how it's going and i think Ultimately, I think it actually gives Yuri a advantage because, and I don't, I'm not in any way dissing BL specifically on this, but any genre that's going to target one audience will often have the limitation of that audience. And and in Japan, since most most comics and the anime based on them are still targeted towards an age group and a gender or sex you know so you have like it's for boys who are 12 to 15 it's for girls it's for men it's for women 
And so you don't, you have all these tropes that are built up sort of historically in, in the middle of those particular uh, demographic genres. And now you have a couple of things that are in and out of that that aren't quite for one thing or another thing. And I think Yuri actually, while it's always going to have this problem of, so let me apologize ahead of time, Re, uh, listeners, I'm going to be really sexist here, but this is a reality for, for those of us who are who understand what I'm saying. Men tend to tell men that men are the most important audience, even if men aren't the ones buying or reading or anything in that media. Um, so Yuri is always going to have the problem where the, the men who are in editing are going to tell the men who are in, in publishing and the men who are writing that the men are the most important audience, even though, honestly, primarily, the audience is slightly skewed female. My, my uh, research and the original research of the uh, of Komakuri Hime basically have all said that women buy Yuri more than men, but that also may be buying because young men don't tend to buy stuff as much as they, they consume it through whatever means they have that is not necessarily through legitimate purchasing. <clears throat> so I think there's always going to be a sense of Yuri, Yuri will always be fighting against this idea, well, we have to get the men in here. And I think that's a little bit of, uh, of a market problem. But generally speaking, I think that men and women and straight and gay and, you know, cis and non-binary and, and trans people all liking it actually will keep it more vital and more flexible and more fluid um, and more um, fungible over the years. So we're going to see, you're going to see things that pop up that are, are super popular, targeted towards one thing or another. Uh, you know, you're going to get Yuri that's by guys for guys, straight up male gay stuff. You're going to get it for girl, little girls. You're going to get it for adult women who are lesbians. And, and, and it's all can be under the umbrella. Because if you're really doing a big umbrella, it has to be big. Like, it's not sensible to say Yuri is for anybody who likes Yuri and then say, but it has to be what I like. It's only the things I like, you know, and that's not, mm. it's not true. So there's room for symbol Paris and there's room for, I don't know, Sayonara Rose Garden and there's, there's room for syrup and there's room for, you know, all of this stuff. And there's room for, I'm in love with the villainous. Like there's room for it all and we can all call it Yuri. And so I think in the long run, maybe Yuri has a advantage over the more specific demographic genres or genres that are really meant to appeal to one audience but time will tell so that brings me to a question for the both of you uh knowing as we know that the definition of eerie is sometimes a little fraught and hard to pin down uh erica and tori what what can a Yuri story, and that can be a one shot or a series, what can it contain that can that really makes you excited about the genre or makes you feel seen or like what makes you respond to a story? What are some storylines or tropes or things that it can have that can really make it resonate with you? I think just having a very genuinely real romance, um, something that doesn't feel too convoluted i guess is the word i'm looking for um realism is what i like in those types of stories um 
And I don't think there's any specific tropes that I really look for in Yuri stories at all. Um, I'll kind of just read or watch anything. It doesn't really bother me um, one way or another. But um, yeah, like I said, I like that sense of this could happen in real life. Um, and that's kind of how I enjoy romance in general in any form of media. Um, meet cutes are fine. I, I like those. Um, but that that's my main point, I think. Uh, so there's a whole subgenre now of Yuri called Shokaijin Yuri, which is Yuri in the office, in the workplace. Uh, and Yen's putting out a lot of that whenever our eyes meet. Um, Manga Planet has a whole bunch of Shodensha stuff, and I just love it. Um, oh, gosh, what's the one that they just did? Uh, hang on a second. Uh, if we leave on the spot, I think I just reviewed... Anokazu. Um, so, Tori, this is for you. If you like real-world stuff, you're looking at Shikaijin stuff, take a look at Manga Planet. They've got a whole bunch of Yuri. It's adult life. It's um, it's all sort of real-world stuff, and I really like it. Um, you know, okay. I'm, I'm not a good person to ask this, because I, I do also consume everything. I, I have read so many manga over the years and so many books that... Um, I mean, I like girl print stuff, because I like cool butchy lesbian characters um i also do like shoujo i i like i like saying i don't care for um some of the tropier predatory lesbians but i don't actually mind predatory lesbians yes. as a trope so it, it really depends like my hime was fun so it, it's very hard for me but i will tell you this there's a a trilogy not manga it's uh it's, the last one hasn't come out yet it's a science fiction series science fiction fantasy series called uh, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. That's kind of like the most perfect thing ever written. Um, it's action, it's science fiction-y, it's sort of fantasy, uh, and it has an openly lesbian character who is unrepentant and big. She's large, she has big arms, and um, <laughs> honestly funny as living fuck. I mean, the funniest thing I have read in, in years, and so, uh, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth kind of nails a lot of things. Like, I, I grew up reading science fiction. Uh, I pretty much read everything my dad read, which explains a lot about me. Um, and then, you know, and I started reading manga. I started with Sailor Moon and read a lot of shoujo. Uh, if you look at my collection, I have a lot of shoujo. I have a lot of seinen. And I have, have a lot of uh, jose. But I don't have a lot of shonen because I really, honestly... The one trope I really don't like is screamy boys. Like, boys are just screaming, 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 screaming. And, like, the whole fucking series is them screaming. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I watched One Piece, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I have a very, that's, like, hits all my need for screaming every month. I don't need any other screamy series. <laughs> uh, so every time I try to watch, like, whatever the most popular thing is, as soon as the main male character starts to scream, I'm, like, done. Um, cut it off <laughs> cut it off like uh, I tried to watch um, Demon Slayer and we didn't my wife and I didn't last a whole episode he started screaming we're like oh, okay let's go watch something we like um, so yeah I mean I, I like I like surrealism <clears throat> that's why I like Utena so much and Madoka we particularly like the art style used for the witches in Madoka very much. And we've collected some of the... It's gorgeous. Stunning stuff. Um, 
Also, Black, the art for Black Rock Shooter was pretty good, although the story kind of petered out. Um, I like I like good art, but I'm not an artist, so I often miss the art. Uh, for me, honestly, the, the number one thing is a story that holds together from beginning to end. Again, something Monica actually did that almost very, very, very few people actually do. Um, I like characters who are smarter than I am. <laughs> there was a series a few years ago called Bodacious Space Pirates. And it's also very, it's very good. Uh, and it it's a ridiculous plot that a girl who goes to an all-girls school, this like, you know, rich girl school, sort of vaguely futuristic, turns out to actually be the daughter of a pirate, space pirate. And so he's dead, so she gets his ship. The thing that you never have is the bit where she has to prove herself worthy to the men who are on the ship. They're all like helping her out and will randomly quiz her on stuff, which I adored. Like they're sitting there like, so what do we do when we have this, this, this? And she goes, boom, boom, boom. And they're like, okay, move on. And that's, that's the sum and total of her proving herself. They're just teaching her, uh, which I loved. But the thing about the series is the girls win with their brains. And women who are competent, who are smart, who are capable, is my boom. And so any story where you have a character who is absolutely competent at what she does, who can carry a thing through to the end, and who's smarter than I am, I love that. I love that series. Yes, capable women are really good, and I love a good story with a strong, capable woman um, who, you know, gets stuff done, takes care of herself, and that's always very nice to see, and you don't get that, well, it's it's gotten better. I don't want to say you don't get that a whole lot. It's definitely gotten better as far as narratives go. Um, that was a really good thing to bring up. I completely didn't even think to mention that. <laughs> It's, it's one of those things that, that falls by the wayside in the discourse on strong women. I actually have a, um, a side note on the Bechdel test, which is really not meant to be a high bar. It's meant to be the lowest possible bar uh, uh, media can hit, uh, which is that there's two women who discuss something other than a man. And then the, the more, the Bechdel-Wallace test, when it sort of got codified into three things, which is two women who are named characters who talk about something other than a man. Um, that actually should be a really, really low bar that most media hits. Um, I have a, an addendum to that, which is, does the character have society? Does she have friends and family and people who, with whom she has conversations other than that one other person? Like, yes, you can have a series. Let me think about it. Like Cobra Kai, where you have the one girl on the one side and the one girl on the other, and they talk to each other, but it's like they don't have any other friends. And that really pisses mm -hmm. me off. It's like they're in high school and yes, okay, I get it. The plot is a, a pile of a Gordian knot of crazy, but somebody should speak to them. They should be able to have a conversation with, I don't know, the woman at the coffee shop or when I walk out of this house, <laughs> I went to get sandwiches today. The woman who sells me sandwiches is a woman, she's been there for 25 years or longer. 
I walk in, I say, hey, Dion, how are you doing today? And she goes, oh, fine, Erica, how are you? That's what we're talking about in terms of Bechdel tests. Like, we should really have society. We need to have people, series where the women have other friends and other than the one love, and that actually is a trope that drives me crazy. Soccer Trick did that. Um, yes. Yuri, Yuri romance for men tends to be, there's two girls, the end. And you're like, where are their friends? Where's their family? Where's the people they see every day on the train? Like, that is not how a life works. And that drives me crazy when there's, like, just nobody else in the story. Um, so, yeah, it does get better, but also, more importantly, it depends on what media you're looking at. Manga is, mm. by and large, a very conservative medium. Um, and we can see that. I don't have to go very far. If I tell you about comics or a conservative medium, look at the, the, the gators. You know, that I always say, like, asterisk dot asterisk gate. You know, every time you have any visual media of any kind, there's going to be some uh, group of people who will be angry that they are not all the time, 100% of the time, this the hero. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, if you look at comics, if you look at films, if you look at any form of mass-produced media, what you don't really have is a lot of character building in the West. We don't spend any time, not since like the 40s, we don't spend time on dialogue. We don't spend time on character. We spend time and money on explosions and chase scenes. And as a result, the people who aren't the guy at the wheel end up feeling like, okay. Like, I honestly, I watched, I watched Mad Max Fury Road, and for me, it was one long scene. She went out, turned around, came back. I was like, okay. That was certainly a long chase. But what was the point? Like, where was the, where was the okay, so here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it. Like, uh, you know, I would like to have more <laughs> of the... You know, so, but, but, you know, it, it's, it's like what sells, what, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about things, as I say, we're looking at something, it's a thing, but it's not a thing. It's a thing that hundreds of people produced and made and sold and shaped, you know, and so, yeah, of course, I like, I like stuff with competent adult women, because that's what I seek to be, even if I fail all the time, you know, I want something to look forward to and reach up to. Um, and I think that's basically even, even if I'm talking about stuff that's realistic, that's still a fantasy. And you're always, you're, oh, we're always looking for media that represents the best we want to be. The strongest, the most competent, the most powerful, the most whatever, you know, we were always, we were always looking all things in the human existence are like a mirror. We always want to see ourselves reflected in it. We always want to see ourselves reflected as the best possible version of ourselves. And, and that's true with everything. I mean, that's why I think people are starting to realize how many, how many people behave badly on airplanes and how many people are really assholes in the stores. Those things that always existed, but now we have cameras capturing it and they're forced to look at themselves in the mirror that doesn't show themselves at the best possible time. So I kind of think even if it's realistic and even if it's in the workplace and even, even if it's a romance, we're still always looking for a fantasy of something to reach towards. 
so before we let you go, Erica, we wanted to ask you a few questions that we have from our audience. And by our audience, I mean Basil. Uh, if you are a frequent <laughs> listener of this podcast, you know that we could literally summon up the ghost of Tessica himself, and Basil will be the only one who has questions for us. <laughs> Thanks, Basil. Thank you, Basil. Thank you, Basil. You keep the question train running. Uh, so some of these we've covered already, so I think I will start with what do you consider to be some good entry points into Yuri as a genre? Like, three titles for the person who is Yuri Curious. Uh, it's a really hard question, Basil, and, and I don't do recommendations at all, ever, um, because what I like and what you like are more than likely not to be similar, but um, at the end of last year on Okazu, let me just go grab it, excuse me, I'm do a little clicking here. Um, at the end of the last year on Okazu, every year at the end of, at the, end of the year on, on my website, I do a top 10 list of that year. And 2019 was what I consider to be the 100th anniversary of Yuri because I'm dating it from the original publishing, the serializing of Yoshinobuko's Yanoru no Nishoujo. And as a result, at the end of the year, I wrote a top 10 list. So if you go to um, Okazu and you put in... Uh, 100, 100, the number 100, Years of Yuri 2020 Project, you will get three posts, one by four posts, one by Nikki Bellman, one by Katherine Hansen, one by Aaron Subramanian, Subramanian, and then myself. And those posts will talk about what we each think the Keystone series are. Now, some of the things that I suggest are not in English, and I explain that very, very clearly. And then I start saying, like, here's where you can get them. And um, I, I think I included like 10 things in there, and those would be the 10 things. So I'm just going to real quick read them for folks who might be listening. Um, Yana Urunoni Shoujo is the first, what I consider the first Yuri novel. And uh, it's not in English. It's by Yoshinobuko, who I, I consider the, the, the grandmother of Yuri. But what is out by her is Yellow Rose by Yoshina Nabuko. And you can actually buy that on Kindle or, or wherever you get your digital things. And it's a very short story from her Hanamonogatari, which is the most super famous girls literature in all of Japan. It's like the girls literature. Yellow Rose by, uh, um, translated by Dr. Sarah Frederick. Um, I'm just going to skip here. Rose of Versailles is key for Yuri so much, but also just for the girl prince archetype. Sailor Moon, which is out now out in an eternal edition, which are these big, thick, with holographic covers. Um, Revolution Girl Utena. I suggest Maria Watches Over Us because that kind of, if you can't read those early 20th century stuff in Japanese, if you watch Maria Samagamitru or Maria Watches, Mary Watches Over Us, you kind of get that whole aesthetic of the early 20th century mission school, but with a modernized version. Plus, it's very funny and the characters are charming. Um, we published the first Yuri manga, Rika Takanji, and there's a, a digital edition. Tokyo Love, Rika Takanji. That's the first Yuri manga that was ever published in English. Um, and then I'm going to say the Kasa-san series by uh, Takashi Maromi, um, mostly because it's the girl, it's girls' love in a high school 
but it gets it right. And I think that if you get to like the third or fourth volume, you realize that as they're starting to get older and they graduate and they move to Tokyo and they're still together and we're up to like volume six now. So it's, it's kind of nice because it moves us out of school. Uh, and then there's a bunch of things um, that I would recommend. I'd recommend I, I'm in Love with the Villainous, even though it's an isekai story. It's, it's got really good um, LGBTQ identity. And Our Dreams at Dusk. Shimanami Tasugari by uh, Kamatani Yuki, which came out, I think, a couple of years ago uh, from Seven Seas. Our Dreams at Dusk that is... A really is uh, uh, it's a wonderful story. It's not Yuri. It's queer media. Um, but if you're a Yuri fan and you're kind of going, well, is there any real overlap? Well, the answer is no, and that's like a whole conversation we can have one day. But um, But some creators are bringing more overlap into it. And I think this is, that Our Dreams at Dusk is a really good queer manga if you're if you're open to Yuri and you're open to understanding queer lives and you want to kind of get a little bit more outside of the school girls, uh, I'd recommend that one. So there you go. That those are my suggestions. So Basil's next question is, what is your favorite mixed drink? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm a coffee and tea person, so I drink coffee and tea. I feel that. What other interests do you have outside of anime and manga? All of them. Um, really into uh, Bronze Age archaeology. Uh, we're big fans of that around this house. My wife uh, studies the, the um, hell figures of, of the UK. Uh, we're both into mythology very deeply. Um, I was a martial arts teacher for years. Uh, I'm still interested in that. And um, I don't know. I have interests rather than a lot of hobbies. I don't do a lot of things that, that take time and money, but but those are the things I spend my days doing. And of course I read obsessively. I have been reading obsessively since I was like seven. And I pretty much read obsessively still. And finally, what aspects of the Yuri genre do you wish more people would pay attention to? That's a really good question. Uh, the variety. I know it's easy to just look at it and go, ugh, more schoolgirls, but there's so much more. Uh, get yourself a, uh, a get yourself an account on, on Global Book Walker and go to town, man. There's just so much more. There's so much. There's Shikaijin Yuri. What we, we're missing right now is still a sports Yuri. We have no good sports Yuri, which drives me fucking crazy. Um, but... I think if you just if you look a little bit further past the magical girl stuff, you'll see there's actually a lot more out now than than there has ever been. It's so much out, and, and that's true for manga at all. I mean, people say you know, you know, oh, you know, there's nothing to read. I'm like, God, there's like tons. We're getting more than you have ever seen. But you gotta sometimes you gotta go digitally because not everything is coming out in print now. Apparently, paper is really hard to get. Uh, and, and, and manga isn't, um, if you see something you want, get it is the answer right now, because apparently everything is really, really hard to print. And before we go, I would like to ask a little bit about what it was like to do, uh, to work as an editor on the Rose of Versailles. I know that that's a series where everything is really tight lipped and under like 37 different, uh, non-disclosure agreements, but is there anything that you can talk about? I mean, this is... Uh, the Rose of Versailles is kind of like one of the 
the major queer texts of, of anime and manga. Yeah, you'd be surprised. This has actually not been under uh, any levels of secrecy. Uh, he, uh, so so the, the editor, uh, the publisher, Eric Coe from Udon Entertainment has been amazing. And everything has been extremely collaborative. Uh, I've just really, it's been, it's been the honor of my life, of course. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not like the hush hush secrecy thing that you'd think. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the deadlines were just simply getting the materials and getting them the right way. All of it has to get passed through uh, Ryoko Ikeda Sensei's um, organization, getting her approval on things, and they were doing a lot of. Eric was doing a lot of stuff that had never done been done before, like getting the original art and getting it and putting it in the right order. So that kind of stuff just had to just took an incredibly long time. Um, so it wasn't so much the big secrets; it was more or less just a lot of little organizational stuff. But it's been amazing. It's honestly been such such a pleasure to sit down and really have to pay attention to her work, and uh, and really understand from the granular perspective why we would make the decisions that were being made. Um, the first translator, Mari Morimoto, and I had long conversations about why. Why are things the way they are? And when somebody says to you, you know, well, why is that? It's like, there's an answer. Even if they don't like it, there's an answer, you know, and, and um, while I haven't been as collaborative with, with Jocelyn Allen, I know her work is spectacular and all I've had to do is sort of attach the one to the other and just make sure there's uh, consistency there. And I just, I just know that uh, the people I'm working with are top notch in their industry. And that's, it's been tremendous. It's just such, it's such an amazing feeling holding these beautiful, beautiful books in my hand, knowing that, that I got to contribute. I have not yet purchased the the editions of Rose of Versailles, but I I was in a bookstore and I could dig it to see it in person and they are absolutely gorgeous. They are uh, lovely, lovely editions and I, I plan on I plan on getting one as soon as I get my next paycheck. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me ask you this. If there was a series that has not currently been licensed in English, a Yuri series that you would want to work on, what would mm -hmm. it be? You know, I actually had in my head in the middle of the night, like three nights ago, I thought, oh, you have to remember that one. And I was like, completely forgot what it was now. Um, what what would I want to be? Well, I am working on the English language translation of my favorite manga ever, which is Gunjo. Uh, it's online and the work is being done by the creator herself. Um, for decision with decisions she's making, it's on her website um, on note.mu. So Nakamura Ching Sensei is is putting out her own version of it. Um, so we've gotten volume one done, but then her <clears throat> manga was then um, adapted into a Netflix movie called Reader Dies. So she's been really really busy, and that's out now. And I, I would recommend it highly, but with some caveats, extremely violent. It's full of a lot of sex, both straight and gay. Uh, and so it's, it's very um, graphic in the violence so, and in the sex. So uh, I, would, I would recommend it highly. It's not the same as her manga. Her manga is fundament, has a fundamental difference. 
but I would recommend it. And so we haven't had been able to move forward on volume two yet on Gunjo. So that was really, that's been really good. Um, I actually did have something just the other day and I thought, oh, this would be perfect. And now I can't remember. I guess I'm going to say um, I would really like to see all of the girl gang manga translated. It would sell to literally nobody, but I don't care. Uh, uh, I would start with uh, Hana no Asukagumi and then make sure all of Skebon Deka got translated and then Yajikita, Kako, and Dochuki. And if I think if those three were translated, I'd be done. I could, I could retire and never do anything. Well, uh, I think we're ready to wrap up. Tori, do you have anything else you wanna you want to bring up? Um, I would just like to say thank you for everything that you contribute and the work that you do. It's very appreciated and um, very informative. And I've enjoyed reading your articles and watching your videos a whole lot. Well, thank you very much, Tori. And I really appreciate uh, you and Sullivan having me on today. Thank you so much. And thanks, Basil, for all the great questions. If there's one thing Basil can provide, it is great questions. So we will yes. have links. We will have links to all of the things that Erica has mentioned in the show notes when this is published. We will have links also to her YouTube channel and uh, the Yurikon and Okazu uh, blog website so that you can connect with Erica. And we'll also have links for uh, the Rose Versailles that has just been released recently. So you will you will be able to get your your fill of Yuri content from Erica from us. And I will let you everybody know if you're listening. Um, Yurikon has the world's largest shop online. Uh, for Yuri anime and manga and, and related things. So d visit, take a look, yurikon.com slash store. Uh, we've, we're actually doing a really big reboot, so we're adding in vendors so you can buy it from multiple different vendors online and we're adding digital links in. And uh, it's, it's kind of a big reboot of the thing, but there's stuff from all over the world and everything I've mentioned is there, except for the stuff that's out of print, of course. And uh, it just, it's, it's all there to be gotten somewhere if it's there. Well, thank you again, Erica. It's been wonderful to have you and especially for our annual Pride episode. And uh, from all of us here at the Third Impact Anime Podcast, we wish you a happy Pride and uh, happy reading all this manga that we've given you to read. <laughs> thank you so much. And yes, thank you all. Thank you.